Romans 14 and verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Hi everyone. We're thinking this evening about heartache in the church, and specifically situations where Christians offend each other by their beliefs or their conduct. So it's ma about matters of conscience. And because it's about matters of conscience, I thought it would be good to broaden our horizons and not just think about Christians in North Hertfordshire, but Christians all around the world and how clashes of culture can cause heartache in the church. So I've had a chat with Sarah Hoskins and some of the illustrations in this sermon come from her experience. Now I want to start with three examples of situations where heartache has been caused in the church. In each situation, I want us to ask ourselves the question, what did the person who was upset feel in that moment? So here's the first one. This is one from my experience. When I went to Uganda a few years ago, before I went with the team, we were told to be careful with our sermon illustrations in case we uh, accidentally upset the people we were speaking to because that had happened a few years previously. Someone had bought a cheap book from a second-hand bookshop, and to illustrate a point in their sermon, in front of 60 or 80 Ugandan students, they tore that book up. Now, books are quite precious in Uganda. They're quite difficult to get hold of. And so that, as that book was torn up, 60 or 80 Ugandan students were mortally offended. Now, how, how did those students feel in that situation? They probably felt anger. They felt upset. There's another dimension as well. They felt a breach of trust because they thought they could trust this man standing at the front teaching them. They trusted him as a man of integrity. And then he'd just gone and done this wasteful thing, ripping up a book. So trust was damaged. Here's another example, one from uh, ancestor worship in the Far East. When a person becomes a Christian, from ancestor worship, 
they no longer eat and drink the, the food and the drink placed on the shrine of an ancestor because that would be seen as turning back to their former way of life and their former religion. But imagine if somebody uh, embraced their full freedom in Christ and decided to eat and eat that food and drink that drink, but somebody else watched them do that. The person who was watching would be offended by that. And how would they feel? They'd probably feel confused about what was right and what was wrong. They probably fear for that person. They'd fear that that person hadn't truly been saved. They had just um, made an outward show of becoming a Christian, whereas secretly they were still an ancestor worshipper. Here's the third example, and in this one, everyone makes their feelings quite clear. This is an example from an American missionary in Tanzania who was teaching a class on biblical theology and got into a discussion with the students about tattoos. And the class was getting a bit heated. The, uh, the conversation um, was heating up. And so he put a question to these Tanzanian students. What would be worse if your pastor committed adultery or if he got a tattoo? And the Tanzanian students were unanimous. It would be worse if he got a tattoo. Now, that's because in their culture, tattoos are associated with witchcraft. They're associated with um, being identified with a particular demon or false god. It's a sign of ownership by an evil spirit. So if a Tanzanian Christian got a tattoo, that would offend other Tanzanian Christians. And how would they feel? They'd feel angry again. They'd feel upset. Don't you think they'd feel that that Christian had seriously backslidden in their faith? They, again, probably feel confused about where to draw the line between right and wrong. Now, I know that many of you watching it probably don't like tattoos either, but in the West, they're much more acceptable culturally because they're not connected with uh, evil spirit worship and witchcraft. But you see all of these feelings that uh, come up when there's heartache in the church. And do you recognize any of those feelings in yourself? Equally, have, um, have you done something or said something in the past that might have made another Christian feel some of those feelings? Well, that's what today's passage is all about. So let me give you a little bit of background to the passage. It talks about food a lot, and that's really because uh, that was the source of tension in uh, the Roman church when Paul was writing to them, at least one source of tension. And it comes down to this. Christians are permitted to eat whatever they like. There are no food rules for Christians. You're free to eat whatever. So Paul says in verse 14 of our reading, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. No food is unclean. You can eat whatever you like. But for Jews, that wasn't the case. They famously can't eat pork and lots of other things as well. They had a lot of food laws. And so when Jews of the time became Christians, in theory, they could leave behind all of those food laws and eat whatever they liked. But if you've grown up over decades being told that certain foods are unclean and you shouldn't eat them, it's very difficult to then throw that all away and say, actually, now I'm free to eat anything. And this caused tension in the Roman church because in AD 49, um, Claudius uh, expelled all of the Jews, including Jewish Christians, from Rome. 
And then about five years later, those Jewish Christians were allowed to return on Claudius's death. Now, when those Jewish Christians returned to their church in Rome, they found that the new leaders of the church there were Gentiles, Gentiles who didn't have the background of food laws. So they'd be eating pork, they'd been drinking wine and whatever, all sorts of things like that. And the Jewish believers came back and were confused and upset. And they didn't know where to draw the line between right and wrong anymore. And perhaps they were afraid that the churches they'd left had seriously backslidden. And perhaps they were angry. And so a couple of years after that situation, Paul writes this letter to the Roman church and he addresses that very situation. Now, I want us to take away two things from the reading today. When there's heartache in the church, there are always these two things. These are two things that uh, the person with the heartache experiences. They always experience a reason and an emotion. There's always a reason why the person who's hurting disagrees with what's going on. But there's also an emotional response, a reason and an emotion. So first of all, there's always a reason. And I want to take this from the context to the letter to the Romans that I just explained, this tension that came up about eating food. The Jewish people weren't eating certain foods and they had a reason for that. The reason was that in the Old Testament, all of these food laws were laid down because they were a holy nation, a people set apart to God. And so had God changed his standard of holiness or were they no longer part of a holy nation, even though they were supposed to be Christians and therefore, um, you know, receive the, the fullness of holiness in Christ? What was going on? They were confused, upset, angry, but they had a reason for that. They had a theological reason. And so do we today. When we're upset by our brothers and sisters in Christ, we always have a reason why we're upset. So let me give you a few examples. Again, one from my experience, we visited a Sikh temple at Oak Hill and the vicar who was showing us around, he, um, he had got to know the religious leaders of his area really well um, in the Sikh temple, the Hindu temple um, and the mosque and other places. And so he was able to take students around to these places and we had a warm welcome. But he said to us in the Sikh temple, you can eat the food that's given to you as part of their hospitality. But don't eat the food that's offered to you when you come out of the, the Sikh temple proper, the, uh, the place of worship, because if you eat that food, it's seen as participating in Sikh worship. Now, you could argue that both ways, because in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says an idol is nothing. And so food offered to an idol. Well, you know, there's only one true God and he created everything. So actually, that food is fine for you to eat. But just a few chapters later in 1 Corinthians 10, he says you can't eat at the table of Christ and the table of demons. You can't participate in meals from mixed religions. So there are reasons on both sides. And had we um, eaten the food as we came out of, of the Sikh temple, I'm sure we would have offended the vicar that took us there. He took us there. And he had his reasons for being offended, but we might have had our reasons for being free to eat. Here's one that's a bit closer to home. Creationism and evolution. I can feel the temperature of the room rising slightly. The creationist says that the problem with evolution 
is that it doesn't take Genesis 1 seriously, doesn't take Exodus 20, 11 seriously, doesn't take a lot of Jesus's sayings seriously. It's placing science above scripture and it's introducing th ideas like death before the fall, which are theologically unacceptable. But there's a reason on the other side as well. The evolutionist says the problem with creationism is that they're not taking seriously the genre of Genesis 1. And because of that, they're missing the theological message of Genesis 1 because it's lost in the literal interpretation. And so also they're making the Bible unnecessarily difficult for the modern reader to believe when it was never intended to be read like that. Reasons on both sides and uh, many other reasons on both sides of that particular argument. Similarly, with gender and church leadership. 1 Corinthians 14.34 says women should remain silent in the churches. Now, with that statement, what weight should we give to the particular situation existing in Corinth when Paul wrote to them? Similarly, situation in Ephesus when he wrote to the church in Ephesus and to Timothy. And when we've decided how much weight to give that situation, can we decide whether or not that, st uh, that statement applies to us today? And does that change our doctrine of scripture and the doctrine of scripture's applicability to us through all ages? And are we just giving in to pressure from culture or has actually uh, the culture given us an opportunity to ask the Bible questions that we haven't really thought of asking the Bible before? So again, reasons on both sides of that discussion. So we all take sides in these matters based on reasons, and yet we can't all be right. We think we're right, of course, and so did the Jewish believers who refrained from eating pork and other food. They had reasons for doing that, and they thought those reasons were correct. Now, if it was just about reasons, then it might be easier for us to follow Paul's advice and just agree to disagree or perhaps uh, agree to shelve a matter for the time being and then come back to it later on for further discussion when we can wear it up again. So there are reasons. The problem is there's also an emotion, a reason and an emotion. In verse 15 of our reading, this is what Paul doesn't say. If your brother or sister disagrees with you because of what you eat, he doesn't say that. He says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Christians are distressed because of what we do. It's a real um, tangible heartache. It, it's a pain. It's, uh, it's a feeling of worry, anxiety, anger, fear, upset, all of these things together. It's an emotional response. And the problem is our emotional response doesn't just come from our reason or reasons for holding our position. It comes from a lot of other things as well. And sometimes we don't acknowledge that. Let me give you some more examples again. Um, when I was selecting which clothes to wear to record this sermon, I've intentionally chosen a polo shirt with a collar because I know that some of you would find it inappropriate for somebody to preach in say shorts t-shirt and flip-flop at the flip-flops at the front of church now your reason for that might be that to dress in that way 
is disrespectful to God. It's also disrespectful to the congregation. You're preaching when you're preaching, you're they're in a really serious position and you need to be shown to be taking that seriously by dressing appropriately. Someone who disagrees with that view might say that the Lord looks at the heart, not at the outward appearance. And so theological reasons on either side. But of course, there are a whole load of cultural considerations that come into play here as well. The way in which people dress smartly uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago is different to how they might dress now. Even dress itself is considered in different ways. And so personally, I wouldn't find it disrespectful if somebody in a position of authority was speaking to me in flip-flop shorts and t-shirt, but I know others would. And there are feelings that go along with that. If somebody stood at the front of church in shorts and t-shirt, people might be thinking that's disrespectful and not happy about that. But more likely, there would just be a sense of discomfort, a, a sense of anger, perhaps. That's inappropriate. It would be largely an emotional response. And that comes from a whole wealth of sources, our reasons as well as our upbringing, our culture and so on. Here's another example, big one in the church throughout history, and that's alcohol. Alcohol can cause huge offence. It's mentioned in our reading in verse 21. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So drinking wine is something that can place a stumbling block in the way of other believers. Again, the Christian's free to eat and drink whatever they like, but not all Christians feel comfortable drinking wine for lots of different reasons. But the point is there's an emotional response. You might have made up your mind not to drink wine because you don't want to place a stumbling block in the way of people who might have had trouble with alcoholic, uh, alcohol in the past. But um, so, yeah, um, there'll be reasons, but there'll also be an emotional response. And in the past, where I've seen this really explode is actually in an area that's very easy to slip up. And I want to particularly address any students or young people that might be watching this sermon right now. And that is when you place a photo of yourself at a party, maybe holding a beer on social media. And it goes out to maybe 400, 1000 people. And of that number of people, maybe a hundred of them are Christians who wouldn't drink alcohol. And their emotional response when they see that picture is all the things I mentioned at the beginning. Fear, upset, confusion about where to draw the line between right and wrong, breach of trust, slight worry that you're backsliding. All of these things. And that comes from their theological reasons. It also comes from their emotions driven by their culture, their upbringing, people who have influenced them and so on. One more. I could give loads more, actually, but this is another big one. Money and holidays. A Christian might go on a really expensive holiday and another Christian is uh, thinking that's inappropriate. A Christian shouldn't be spending that much money on themselves. But again, there might be emotions there. There might be a sense of envy. There might be a sense of resentment that they've been giving all of their money away to the Lord, whilst another Christian feels it's appropriate to go on a very expensive holiday. Other examples, Lord's Day, um, whether or not to do your weekly food shop on a Sunday, that kind of thing. All of these things cause huge emotional responses. And behind those emotional responses are the reasons plus culture, upbringing, influences and so on. So it's good for us to acknowledge that. 
Now, when it comes to emotions, I want us to realize that a negative emotion, heartache in a Christian, can be immensely damaging to their walk with the Lord. Let me go back to verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. It goes from distress to destroy. And it comes back to that as well. Verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Verse 23, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat. You could end up causing your brother or sister to be condemned. Now, it's not clear whether that's by their own conscience, as in uh, verse 22, or there's something more serious going on. And in a sense, they're condemned by God and maybe disciplined by God because of what they do. So doubt, uh, sorry, distress goes to destruction and that leads on to condemnation. It's a really serious matter. So what's the big guiding principle to stop us from um, giving our brother or sister a real setback in their walk with the Lord? I should have mentioned, actually, that uh, when it talks about destruction, it's paralleled with edification. So in verse 19, which is really a key verse for this whole passage, it says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Edification, that's not really a word that we use outside of talking about the Bible, but it means building up. And so building up is contrasted with destroyed. So we're not talking about, you know, because you've upset a brother or sister in Christ, suddenly you've destroyed them eternally, but you've broken them down. You've given them a setback in their walk with the Lord. Maybe it will take them years to get back onto an even keel in their faith. And in the meantime, perhaps they've become fruitless in their walk with Christ. So a big deal. So here's our big principle to stop us from offending our brothers and sisters in Christ. And equally to stop us from being offended when other Christians do things differently to us. The big principle is keep everything in perspective. Verse 15 again. Paul says, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Jesus gave up his life for that person. And so how can we either offend somebody when Christ has paid such a high price to purchase them? And equally, how can we be offended when we know that Christ has paid such a high price for us? Keep it in perspective. Secondly, this is all part of something much bigger. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We've got righteousness given or imputed to us by God. We have peace with God. We have joy. The kingdom of God goes on to eternity. And so whether or not we drink wine now or whatever um, is a very small part of that. The kingdom of God is something much bigger. Let's keep everything in perspective. And thirdly, so let's build each other up, not break each other down. This is verse 19, that key verse again. 
Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Let's keep everything in perspective. Peace between us as Christians is of vital importance. So let's talk about healing the heartache. Imagine if every Christian resolved not to be offended by something another Christian said or did, and equally to try their hardest not to give offence to another Christian. So much heartache would be avoided. And maybe some rifts between uh, denominations could be healed. Maybe there are whole areas of the Christian church globally that could be healed if we all adopted this attitude not to offend and not to take offence. Now, I think this is already happening quite a lot in this country. I think we're in exciting times where Christians are learning to work together and live together and agree to disagree sometimes, but to do so in a way that doesn't come with all of those negative emotions and the division that comes along with that. So I think we're on in exciting times of renewal and unity. And that's not a sign that we're all becoming more liberal. It's a sign that we're taking seriously Jesus's longest recorded prayer in the whole Bible, that all his people may be one and be brought to complete unity. That's in John 17. So let me finish by leading us all as we join Jesus in his prayer that that would be the case in the UK and globally. I'll pray after I've read those words from John 17. After praying for Jesus' 12 disciples and close followers, he said, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you love us and you have brought us to faith and to salvation. Oh, Lord, we are so easily offended and we so easily give offence to others. Please, Father in heaven, help us to be ready to give up our freedoms if it means that another Christian can be built up in their faith. And equally, please may we be quick to forgive and not hold any record of wrong when another Christian upsets us by their conduct or by what they say, what they believe. We ask this so that your church may be united in this country and globally and so that the world might know that, Father, you have sent the Son and that Jesus came and died for our sins and rose again to usher in the kingdom of God, to bring in something amazing that we need to keep in perspective. So please help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.